Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index, which showed home price growth at 20.4% year-over-year nationally and a record 21.2% growth for its top 20 city composite. As Logan likes to say, that is a savagely unhealthy housing market, so we're going to get into all the details. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. And today, and unlike normal, we are in the same room. We're at Gathering of Eagles, um, an amazing event put on by Real Trends. Um, we've already done a, a whole session today. We've been on panels. We've we've uh, hosted a lot of things. So this is going to be great. Uh, but let's get to the heart of the issue. Let's talk about the Case Shiller. Yes, of course, the Case Shiller Index uh, lags the current market, but. Uh, we saw over 20% growth for their total index. We saw 21.2% growth in the uh, Case-Shiller Top uh, 20 City Composite, which is an all-time record for year-over-year uh, home price growth. So for me, again, it's, you know, as somebody who's, whose theme has been, hey, listen, home prices could overheat. That's what we should worry about. Price growth models are already broken. Uh, the market is savagely unhealthy in uh, January and February, uh, prices are out of control. Hopefully this, though it lags, it shows how important it is for mortgage rates to have risen because if the mortgage rates were still below 4% or 3%, uh, this uh, home price growth would have kept on going in a very unhealthy way. Home price growth is just like the double whammy for consumers, right? Because so, you know, prices were going up, up, up. That's fine because they had those really low interest rates. Now, as interest rates have risen and the price growth, we're just seeing it now start to slow a little bit, but it has been crazy, like just like these numbers. Yes. we're. I mean, inventory is increasing this year. That's a positive. Rates are are getting up high enough to where, you know, sellers... Uh, and home builders are going to have to rethink their strategy of selling their their homes, which to me again is a positive. But you know, w- when I went into years twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty four, I thought, listen, if if home prices just grew at twenty three percent, that's a blessing. We'll be okay. But of course, the first two years uh, of that, we broke that uh, price growth model, and it was looking really bad early on in this year from how I was looking at housing. So that's why I. I moved it to a savagely unhealthy housing market and why uh, we focused on why we need mortgage rates to rise. Uh, and, and this data lags, of course, but it just shows you how bad it was early in the year. And the market has changed, I think, uh, for a positive. Uh, we are working our way back to a boring and balanced housing market. Uh, it's going to take a little bit more time than uh, than usual, but I think that's, that's, that's the theme going out. Uh, again, my concern is always that you know, economic data gets really weak and rates go back down and whatever we've gained in inventory stops and heads lower. That what I would think as as a negative for the housing market. Speaking of rates, you are one that charts the uh, bond market to know what's going to happen with rates. So where are we with the 10-year yield and what does that mean for rates? Well, the 10-year yield is still above 3%, uh, even though the economic data, some of them are are, are getting more weaker than others noticeably. Um, the, the, the economy is not in a recession currently. You know, uh, traditionally, a recession is, um, you know, when you get industrial production, real sales, uh, 
employment going negative. Um, currently, we don't have that now, but we're heading toward it. And you know, the six recession red flag model is is designed to kind of guide people in a pathway into a recession and out. Uh, so only five of my six recession red flags are up. You know, when the six recession red flags are up, I would imagine that the bond market and mortgage rates would act accordingly to that. But uh, as of now, uh, the economic data in a sense of the labor market is firm. Um, some of the other indexes that we see, the manufacturing data are starting to show negative negative prints. Uh, the durable goods orders are actually been uh, very stable. So um, there, there will become a time where the markets will uh, turn uh, in response to really weakening recessionary data. We're not there yet, of course. And just as a reminder, every recession is different. And, you know, people shouldn't necessarily think that housing is going to crash, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the going back to the housing crash premise that, you know, people are going to foreclose on their house when they had a lot of equity and they still have their jobs. That's again, that's the 2005 to 2008 market, because in 2005 and 2008, you could be working two full jobs and your rate recasted and you're going to file for bankruptcy or foreclose on your home. Um, a different marketplace, you know, I've always tried to stress, uh, credit was getting worse in 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2008. Then the job loss recession happened because the debt structures of the loans back then, uh, were different. And, and again, you know, in, the, in that, during that period, when mortgage rates were falling, it didn't really, uh, help demand too much because the, the demand curve or where home sales were rising from 2002 to 2005, uh, that was based on uh, uh, exotic loan debt structure. So the market got very tight because those loans were offline. So uh, sales fell because you don't have the, the product that facilitated some of that growth. Here, it's different. Here, mortgage rates matter more up to the upside and to the downside as well. So um, uh, homeowners' financial profiles look great. Uh, this is the last group in America we need to worry about. So uh we're not going to have that kind of recession. Also, the labor market's much more different. You know, we have 11 and a half million job openings. You know, the baby boomers are retiring, aging out. They need to be replaced. And if they're replaced, then if there's more demand, then you got to find more workers. So it's a much different labor market as well. So I think those two things are different. Uh, you know, the kind of the uh, tech bubble burst in 2000, people forget that inventory actually fell during that uh, recession. Uh, year over year, retail sales really weren't even negative ever. So you could have mild recessions, you could have uh, leveraged credit recessions. We don't really have that in that sense. There's certain pockets of the economy where you see excesses being taken out. Um, but the housing market uh, on the credit side, very legit, very good. Let me ask you a question because we have seen, you know, just a huge stock market hit. Crypto crashed. I mean, you could say crypto crashed, right? <laughs> Just want to make sure I've, I've got my uh, terminology there. You're not against the word crash in all cases, just when it's misapplied to housing, correct? You know, last year, um, when people talked about housing being 20% oversupplied and that when rates get to a certain level, you know, millions and millions of people will rush to the market and, and sell their homes to get out because, you know, the home isn't a shelter. It's a financial asset. Uh, that's not the housing market. Housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own a debt. It's where you live. It's where your kids go to school. You don't just get up and go, oh, I got to sell and rent. And, you know, look at the rental inflation data. The rental vacancies are low. So your home is very valuable to you, especially 
with a fixed low debt payment, you know, you're, you're, you're in a much calmer space than let's say the people in the crypto market or the people in the stock market or arc growth tech stocks, you know, that's different. Those things could crash because selling them is very quick. And one of the analogies I like to use is that when you look at margin debt with the stock market, it runs one-to-one. It's very fluid. Margin debt goes up with stocks, margin debt goes down with stocks. Housing debt doesn't work that way unless you have a massive credit boom and a credit bust. We don't have that. We never had that from 2014 to 2022. So um, purchase application data itself is below um, 2008 levels currently today. So it's just a much different marketplace. That, that, and, and hopefully people could understand that now because people ask, well, why are home prices still double digits? Because inventory is still low. Days on market so low. Those things are changing. That's a positive. Days on market should grow. Growth rate of pricing will cool down. Uh, um, it's going to take time to, for it to really show up in the day, but we're not there yet uh, for it to be anything like the stock market. So that that whole marketing theme about selling your home to get out, to go rent, it's just in general, human beings who live in homes don't operate that way. Now, we, now you and I did meet someone the other day who said, a real life person who said that they thought they were at the top, so they went ahead and sold their house, bought an RV, and you know went around for a little bit. But now, and what did what did they say? Their kids were like, "We're tired of this. We don't want to be in the RV anymore." I, I think they're middle, and and now they're looking at like, okay, where do we jump back in? And it's it was such a funny illustration of something you actually say all the time, like, "No one's going to do this." It's like, well, we did meet someone who did it, but now he's looking to get back in. That's not the general housing market. Um, I mean, <laughs> no, it's not. People just don't sell their homes to put their kids in RVs. And yeah, no, that, that wasn't a normal situation. Um, I mean, I've heard stories of people saying they they sold in 2018 to rent and they were going to wait for home prices to go down 50%. I just generally, I've never seen that in the data going back four decades. I've seen what forced credit selling does. Uh, where millions and millions of people have to sell their homes because they can't make the payment. I've never seen anything in the data where a a mass amount of Americans feel like being homeless or renting uh, is a better situation than their current living uh, situation where they're making the payments and it's not not an issue for them. You know, of course, when you lose your job, it's different. Maybe that could have been that person's situation. But in in this case, uh, a, a panic selling to possibly be homeless or to rent. Uh, uh, you know, we always talk about how traditional sellers are, are usual buyers of homes, right? Like 75 to 82% of them buy homes. So, uh, um, you know, maybe they wanted to rush to sell just to buy another house because they have so much equity. That at least is a working premise. But the, 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 the marketing theme about it was, I mean, let's be honest with you. Every year we deal with housing crash people, okay? Uh, it, it's just, it is what it is. This has become a a strange cult uh, of bearish American citizens. Now, not every housing crash person does this every year, but there is a group of people that do it every single year. And the notion that people would sell their homes where they live, where their kids go to school, they go to church, their jobs are near. I mean, just because uh, of pricing rising too fast, um, um, not, it's not the case. Uh, uh, and, and we see that the, the inventory is increasing because demand is weak. Um, uh, but it's nothing like, you know, what we saw during the 2006 to 2011 pillar, where we had 10 to 15 million loans delinquent. People had to sell their homes. People were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies before the job loss recession happened. That's not the case now. So it's a nifty marketing tactic. I've seen them all. 
uh, in my lifetime. But uh, hopefully now people understand uh, if that was the case, you know, we're almost in July 4th right now. We would have seven to eight million uh, uh, more listings today because you think about the total people living in America and how much equity that was built, you know, and the fear and the panic that these stock traders have about their stocks. They don't have that about their house, you know. So I always laugh at my stock trader friends. Well, you didn't sell your home. So you're telling other people to do it or you think other people, why don't you? You're the one who's really sounding (laughs) nervous to me. Um, So just be mindful of that. Uh, Traditionally, weaker demand, inventory increases. Demand's getting weaker. Uh, Inventory should keep on rising. Uh, uh, That seems normal, uh, but the mass selling just to get out of the, no. So let me ask you this. Um, We know that actually we have a, a pretty strong job market right now. Um, and most people are are still, you know, are, haven't lost their jobs, right? But when you think about um, the number of people who have lost, uh, who got hit by the stock market, you know, drop, especially people whose compensation is tied to the stock market through options and things like that. Is there anything that you expect that to have an effect? Is it going to be big enough? Is there any way to see that in the data? I, I think we see that in the San Francisco data. You know, uh, California, of course, whenever rates rise, inventory rises faster. Um, but, you know, in San Francisco, inventory is noticeably rising. And it, it makes sense to me if if somebody whose stock compensation is how they really pay for their living and their stocks are down 70 to 80 percent, you know, you, you think you you could live with 180,000 salary, but you really need 300 to 400. So uh, if you don't have that compensation, uh, I, I know, you know, companies like Microsoft and they're, they're raising wages just to keep their workers. Um, there are people that I, I would imagine very, and it would be seem very normal that, hey, I can't live here uh, um, because my compensation is down. That, in a sense, is a, you know, a forced payment selling situation uh, uh, where it's just too expensive. And that's that's always been the problem with California is that, you know, housing is very expensive. So people have to be paid very well. Um, I, I know in a, in a dual household income in California, if one person lost a job, uh, that matters uh, a lot. So you don't have to have two people lose their jobs. Uh, so in a sense, when I think of stock compensation, I think of a dual household income and one of the people lost their jobs. That stock compensation is almost like another person's wages. So uh, in, in that you, you notice this in the San Francisco data, the inventory is really increasing. So yeah, in, in that sense, it would make sense uh, uh, if your compensation is really, your stock compensation is really facilitating your lifestyle. So really potentially limited to a market, you know, that's saturated by people who, who get stock comps. Who are tied to tech. And of course, tech stocks have been destroyed. Uh, so uh, that, that makes sense. They're not the biggest employment out there. Um, What's the biggest employment out there? I mean, just gen- general retail uh, 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 re- retail sale jobs are, are are the biggest. So I've always said that, you know, the rental market is going to be the market that gets hit in the next recession because traditionally what happens, the highest unemployment rate are those with the least education. So uh, those people would actually have the hardest time making their shelter payment. And that goes into the rental um, uh, side consumer based economy, you know, service sector, service sector jobs are usually the highest, uh, engineer jobs or tech jobs in that sense, uh, uh, can't really compete, uh, when the general mass economy is basically a service sector economy. 
Okay, what about crypto? So we know that, you know, people have lost crypto fortunes, but it, it is, I know that you have particular views about how many people that could actually affect. Well, I mean, even with even with crypto, if you, in a sense, bought your home already, your your crypto doesn't pay you an income, really, unless you work for a crypto company and you're a marketing person. Um, so I think, you know, a, a future demand based on helping your down payment with crypto, that 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 would make sense. But uh, again, it's. It's a portion of maybe a marketplace that was facilitated for a down payment, but uh, uh, in in general, most workers are W two wage salary people. So uh, that actually work in kind of industries that do something or produce something. Uh, So I think one of the reasons the Fed wanted to raise rates to get inflation off is getting the excess out of the economy. Uh, um, you know, the, the tech stocks were trading 70 to 80% above their 200 day moving average. And that does not end well traditionally. So that excess has been withdrawn and, and crypto has been withdrawn. So uh, I, you know, we, we, we see that, that a lot of net wealth has been destroyed, uh, from the stock market. You know, it hasn't happened in housing yet, uh, just because homeowners are doing well and they're looking at their. 30-year fixed mortgage payment at 2.75%. They're like, oh, look at all those stock traders always screaming and yelling about something on Twitter. And uh, I'm just going to go to my job and come back home to my wife and everything's going to be normal and okay. Uh, A majority of the people are not crypto or tech investors. So uh, the scale is different. Uh, So of course, there's some damage to that, but nothing nothing broad-based. And nothing that you expect to see in data. I mean, in, in certain cities, you know, Miami, San Francisco, places where you saw a hotbed of crypto or tech stocks, that would be. But in general, um, the, the housing market is much bigger than that. Uh, um, there's there's a lot of industries that employ people. Uh, so, uh, and again, if a lot of people use their stock stock money to to purchase a home, but they're basically making their payment with their current job, you know, they're not selling their homes. They're locking onto their homes more than ever now, because once you sell a home, boy. Where things are now with mortgage rates and where prices are now, a lot of people can't buy their house back. Uh, and that's the reality of it. And that's why I say higher mortgage rates matter. You'll 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 see it. You saw it in the demand right away. And there's nothing abnormal about that. That's that's what it is. It's just that home price growth was so much and so fast from 2020 that that rate impact was much more problematic for the housing market than it was in the past. So, Logan, you are a charts guy. You are a historical precedence guy. You, you base your model based on what has happened in the past and how that looks for the future. So tell us about inventory. When you consider the fact that people have this super low rate, lots lots and lots of people have super low rate now. They refied into it. They bought a home with it. And we're already at historically low inventory. And you're hoping that that rises with mortgage rates going up. But like, what is what is the fact that people have this really low rate? What do you think that's going to do to housing tenure? Well, you know, r- roughly, let's say thirteen percent of the country has mortgage rates three percent or under. You know, thirty eight percent of the country have rates between three to four percent, and uh, um, near thirty percent have rates between four to five percent. Then everything else is either new homes purchased or old loans. There's always a general group of people that list their homes every year. Uh, when rates rise, it takes longer to sell that home and that inventory builds up that way. So I know people fight me on this. I think we, I think we could get back to some kind of normal market at some point next year if rates stay high. 
uh, only because I think to me, we broke down to certain levels of inventory that are not natural. Uh, and I would say under 1.52 million, it's never happened. You know, I'm using the NAR data and I could just get back to a normal market. You know, when we get back to 1.52 to 1.93 million, that's my target. And if rates stay high, I, I think we can get there next year. I think it's too early now for this year, just because there's a general group of listings that happen every year. Um, you don't need a job loss recession. And once I get that kind of 1.93 million, I'll win throw a party. I'll be happy. The savagely unhealthy market is over with. We have balance. But uh, for people that have low mortgage rates, 3% or 4%, you know, when you got to move, you got to move. There's nothing really much to it. Uh, I, I think what higher rates can do that I don't think a lot of people from moving because they can't afford it. Um, so if they have a three and a quarter mortgage rate, they want to move, but they need a four and a half percent mortgage rate to move, not a 6% mortgage rate. And then there's a traditional household who's like, Hey, I'm staying here for another 10 or 15 years. Life is great. My cash flow is excellent. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's a whole different subject, but I, there, there hasn't been anything in the data that shows that we don't have a typical active listing group of people each year. Uh, and with higher mortgage rates, it tends to create longer days on market. And then we'll see inventory natural pickup. Um, again, a seller is traditionally a buyer. So if a home seller sells it, they already know that mortgage rates are this high. So they're okay with that. Uh, but others just, they, they kind of throw in the towel until later. What about when you look back at that, um, at that data? So here's something, you know, different parts of the country have had that run up in home prices that usually is would be more typical for coastal areas, especially California, right? You guys have been, you know, people in California have been dealing with this for, I don't know how many decades in, in DFW where I am, it has been crazy. We never had that huge run up before. It was really slow and steady. And then, you know, lost in the recession, whatever home price growth. Now we, this is really the first time since I've lived in the Metroplex for the last 20 years that I've really seen this happen. When you have that kind of run up in a, in a market that didn't have it before, does that market ever go back? I mean, when you look at uh, California, things never went back underneath a certain level. Like, is there now a floor? Like, home prices, even if they if they cool off, if they steady, whatever. Because one of the things people say is like, is is our home prices going to drop or is, home, is what my home is worth going to drop? Do you see that in the data? Does that ever happen? I, I mean, when, 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 I look at, when I look at national data, once we get, I mean, traditionally two to two and a half million uh, is the normal listings going back to 1982. Uh, uh, people like to use that over six months of supply, it could be a uh, buyer's market. Prices have to come down. For me, I'm just looking for getting up to 1.93 million in four months of supply. I know in in in, in your area, there's a lot of investor demand uh, out, out there that has pushed prices up uh, higher. Um, prices can fall. If anybody tells you prices can't fall, that's, that's not a, that's not a valid premise. Uh, it just needs supply. It needs active, willing sellers. Uh, and the problem with, you know, getting prices back down 40 to 50%, uh, you need an active seller and you need sellers to do that. Uh, and then that traditional seller needs that equity to buy another home. Uh, um, so, uh, it's it's difficult to get back to that level unless you had a credit boom and a credit bust. Uh, but you know, people that are doing really well traditionally just stay in their homes for a very long time. 
um, the rest, if they're forced to sell, that's different. But in scale terms, it's hard to get back down 30, 40, 50%. I mean, again, housing is different in the sense that, you know, if you just bought a house and you have 5% down, you can't sell your home freely for 20% down. Uh, you have to negotiate it with the bank. So it's much different than, let's say, the stock market. You could sell your stock at a 40% loss within 10 seconds. Uh, it's not like that here, but again, keep it simple. Inventory level grows, demand gets weaker. Sellers reduce their price. They sell the home at a less level. Don't make it complicated. We're heading toward that area. It just, we just need more inventory or days on market for that to happen to get price decline. It's funny because when I look at the last year or last two years, and we had that historic, you know, demographic coming in that wanted to buy homes, then you had this historically low rates, you had all this stuff. But that history is going to stay with us because for what you just said, um, you know, who's incentivized to sell? So so there's a long lasting impact of the way that, you know, home prices grew so fast. Yes. And also, you know, the places like Texas and Tampa and, and, you know, Montana, Boise, they've got a lot of out of state people with a lot of money. Um, So, you know, let's say the work from home model doesn't really take off that 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 ends, you know, so you need, you need sellers to, you need active buyers to buy the homes that are in the market and sellers willing to reduce prices, uh, um, to get noticeable declines. Uh, and you, usually that happens when inventory is at a certain level. Uh, but you know, the, what, what happened after 2020 was very abnormal in terms of prices, but there's, also, you know, a lot of people moving around that have a lot more money than the local population, which is why the local population gets mad, you know? So, uh, uh, like, like California is a state that exports inflation, right? Their homeowners make a lot more money and have a, have a lot more financial assets than, than other states. So to them, you know, the $400,000 home is a steal is a steal. <laughs> they go, we don't got, we don't even have one bedroom condos here for 400,000. So, uh, you know, that flight of capital, you know, California doesn't have that problem where people come and try to overbid California home buyers, you know, so, uh, but they export that kind of uh, housing inflation, which a lot of people don't like, you know, so they don't want to sell to California people they too much money. So interesting. We will keep an eye on all these things and so glad that we have you to show us the path through this and what we can expect on rates and home price growth and all of those. So Logan, thank you so much for being here. It is my pleasure to be here, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. 
and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.